are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, tonight, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. And we're looking together at chapter 9. You're going to find this on page 1033 of the Pew Bible. We're going to be reading together in a minute from Revelation chapter 9 and verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Well, up until now, very spectacular natural phenomena have symbolized God's judgments. But as we approach and look into chapter 9, the terror mounts in intensity and the symbols grow more menacing. We meet very disturbing images here that go beyond any natural phenomena. These symbolic representations are absolutely terrifying, and they're meant to be. A great shaft, a giant furnace, thick, dense smoke, colossal locusts that sting like scorpions. And for dramatic effect, I think few, if any, sci-fi thrillers can surpass the book of Revelation. God is warning a rebellious and unbelieving world of the judgment to come. You remember how John concluded chapter 8 with that ominous declaration by an eagle in mid-heaven. Woe, 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 he said, to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets. And the first of those three woes is revealed in the passage for tonight. The first four trumpets were incredibly destructive, if you remember. 
But the last three trumpets are manifestly demonic. And there are two things that you and I have to keep in mind as we seek to interpret this very difficult book. First of all, these are symbols. So let's avoid the bizarre and more irresponsible interpretations. Most of the strange and vivid things that John saw are not to be taken literally. They are symbols. Remember chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God made known by sending his angel to his servant John. And that word made known is literally signified. It refers to signs, symbolic revelation. So the first thing is to avoid the bizarre interpretations, but the second thing is that these trumpets are characteristic of the whole interadvental period between the first and second advents. So whatever images they represent, they depict the total epoch, not just one stage, the whole era. As Hendrickson Hendrickson says, in each vision, we make a journey that takes us through the entire course of this era from the first to the second coming of Christ. So to directly correlate these locusts with helicopters and war machines, I think, would be irresponsible. Well, the chapter wastes no time in presenting us with some incredible things. He says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, this is not a literal star or some celestial body. It's a metaphorical description, a symbolic representation And we have to admit that in some sense, it is a personality. He was given the key. The personal pronoun indicates a personal being represented by a star. And in scripture, you probably know that stars can be used to symbolize either angels or people. Let me give an example of both. Job 38, at creation, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, the celestial praise of the creator. Or Jude chapter 1, the wicked, unbelieving, are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So either angels or men. And the text says that this particular star fell from heaven, suggesting that it is an angel. Parallels found elsewhere in the Bible seem to indicate that it's the devil. Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus said to the 72 disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, how you are cut down to the ground. And many believe this text refers to the first fallen angel who sinned in the Vulgate called Lucifer. The Bible suggests that Satan was once an angel who rebelled against the Lord God. And having lost his holiness and his splendor and his integrity in heaven, he was expelled to the earth. Revelation 12 tells us the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And now Peter instructs us that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And it reminds me that the best and most beautiful, when abused, become the worst and most hideous, don't they? A.J. Morris says, the best things are the strongest. They can therefore do most evil when used in an evil way. There's no devil like a fallen angel. There's no enemy to the gospel like an apostate Christian. 
Well, to this star or to the devil was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And literally, it's called the abyss, which in Greek means a place without a bottom, a bottomless pit. It's a great pit from which arises a tunnel, at the top of which is a door that locks. In Jewish apocalyptic literature, it's described as a place with no firmament above, no firm earth beneath, neither water, birds, nor life forms. The fire burns incessantly in this howling waste of a wilderness. It's the place to which the evil spirits who possessed the Gadarene demoniac feared to be sent. It's a dreadful place. It's a place where demons are locked up under the control of God. And thus we notice how God's sovereignty extends even to the devil and his kingdom. Revelation 9.1 says the fallen star was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So Christ himself has in his hands the keys of death and Hades. And for his purpose, according to his good pleasure, he permits the use of one key to the devil. And everything that happens with the fifth trumpet is under the control of Jesus. One of my professors, Dr. Beale, says, Neither Satan nor his evil servants can unleash the forces of hell on earth unless allowed by Christ. And is that not a solid basis for hope? Apart from his will, not a hair can fall from our head. And when Satan turns that key, Opening the fearsome cavity, several things happen. From the belly of the pit arise great clouds of dense smoke billowing and filling the atmosphere. And this is why the great bottomless pit is likened to an immense smelting furnace. Much of the sun's light is blotted out and the terrestrial air is permeated by smoke. Thick, dark fumes are a figurative way to denote the eclipsing of the light of God's truth. Deep darkness. The judgment that was limited to devils is now spread to the earth. Darkness pervades the land. And from that dense swirling smoke came what John describes as locusts. And these locusts, true locusts, breed in the desert They invade the land seeking food. They've been known to travel in columns that are 100 feet high and 100 miles long. Like an army, they move raiding fields and entering homes and leaving ruin in their wake. And I think it's hard for you and I to imagine the destruction and the desolation and the wreckage that they leave behind. In Exodus 10, we have an example in Egypt The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before or never will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants and all the fruit. Not a green thing remained through all the land of Egypt. William Barclay tells us that in 1866, a plague of locusts invaded Algiers, And so total was the destruction which they caused that no less than 200,000 people perished of famine in the days that followed. 200,000 people. But you know something far more terrible are the supernatural locusts arising from the depths of hell. 
Horror mounts upon horror as this demonic swarm invades the earth like horses prepared for battle. And this is unusually grotesque symbolism. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. Now remember, these are symbols. And we should not expect to see them like this. But what they implicate is this, that these are fierce as war horses, powerful as princes, cunning as men, having an appeal like women with beautiful hair, but their teeth exposes them. The world sees them and is enamored with them and is easily deceived by them. But the worst part is not their appearance, but their satanic powers. And take note of that to which the pain they inflict on the world is compared. Did you see that in verse 3? They were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. The sting of a scorpion's long curved tail is dreadful and excruciating. Its wound throbs and aches and burns such that its bite is worse than any wasp or hornet. And John sees two of the most feared and destructive pests known to the ancient world. And it's a perfect illustration of the pain and the destruction caused by these hellish fiends. Joel describes the day of the Lord in part by saying, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. They look like horses, they rumble like chariots, they leap like stags, they crackle like flames. Like a powerful, fearful army marching and charging and scaling and destroying. In some way, the locusts that John sees have the ability to sting human beings. They were told to harm only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, of course, believers, as we know, are sealed with the promised spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. This is symbolized by the angel sealing God's servants on the forehead in chapter 7. We're sealed. But people without God's seal, without the Holy Spirit, are struck by demonic locusts. They have not the spirit. And they're kept in spiritual darkness and they're tormented by fear and hopelessness and despair. And this reign of terror is temporary. It's described as five months, but it's long enough to warn the earth. These are the tortures and agonies of darkness. These are the forces of evil inflicting pain. And so intense is the pain that people will long for death, but they'll be unwilling to commit suicide. Because all upon the earth who are not protected by God will have this as their destiny. Cornelius Galla says, worse than any wound is to wish to die and yet not be able to do so. Unbelieving, unsealed people are tormented mercilessly by these demonic hordes. And of course, death is usually regarded as the greatest evil and the worst punishment, isn't it? Death. So what is the torment which man would consider worse than death? He'd rather die than endure this. It's not the slaying of human bodies that these people fear. It's the ruin of human souls. And somehow... 
These hellish squadrons have the power to inflict spiritual wounds that destroy the soul. It's a satanic campaign to darken the minds and to torment the hearts of unbelievers. The wise man tells us in Proverbs 18, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? You know, by personal experience, many know, perhaps even here, that the anguish of the soul is far worse than the pain of the body. Demons apparently can cause deep mental, emotional, spiritual suffering, as we heard this morning. And it's piercing. Revelation 2, like those in Thyatira who have learned what some call the deep things of Satan, their minds are darkened, their hearts are burdened, their souls are crushed, and all hope is lost. And the diabolical activity leads to a spiritual famine in each of those individual lives that is far worse than a shortage of food. As Amos puts it, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And so I quote Riddlebarger, This demonic army will leave these people as empty and desolate as the locusts left the grain fields of Egypt. And they're unnatural. They're demonic. They're tormentors from hell. And John says they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. And the name of this locust king is Abaddon, that's Hebrew, or Apollyon, that's Greek. And the meaning is clear. Whether you are Jew or you're Greek, he is both the destruction and the destroyer. Satan is the personification of death and ruin, and he's followed by a horde of demons. And the devil's whole pursuit in scouring the earth is to seek someone whom he can devour. He's a fallen star. He's a devouring lion. He's a king of locusts and the angel of the bottomless pit. And as Jesus tells us, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Or to quote a more recent publication, he's the foul fiend who met Christian in the Valley of Humiliation. Bunyan describes him as hideous to behold and formidable in opposition. It's the devil. It's the devil whose spread of error and reign of terror torments people. So we read in Revelation 12, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And as desperation deepens, his rage intensifies and his malice grows more inflamed. And so we see the first woe has passed and behold, two woes are still to come. I want us to keep in mind that the devil and his demonic forces are both evil, destructive and terrifying. This vision is a symbolic description of hell's forces unleashed upon mankind. Satan and his throngs remain active. Demonic activity will continue to the end. Jim's Sunday school is very timely. God employs angels and Satan sends his demons as a perverted counterfeit. And the church is challenged by the existence and ongoing activity of fallen angels. So Paul tells us we should not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. He uses subtlety and cunning, arts and guises, masquerades and camouflage. 
He's a thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He steals the hearts of people by spreading his falsehoods. He kills spiritual life by subtly introducing ignorance and idolatry. It's happening in our culture as I speak. He kills physical life by violence, war, and malicious persecution. And he destroys human souls by leading them on the broad road that leads to destruction. But thankfully, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You and I must never underestimate the adversary because he is powerful. But we must never underestimate our king because he is almighty. And his sovereign Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and preserves us. And Christ commissioned his church to make disciples by word and sacrament, and those gates of hell will not prevail against her. We're to receive God's word, embrace the lordship of Christ that that word reveals, and the forces of hell cannot overcome this conviction when coupled by faith. For those who sincerely love Jesus, there is great confidence here. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible, says Paul. But of course, the flip side is true. He who rejects the gospel leaves himself exposed to horrifying demonic forces. The torments are warnings of impending doom, and they should lead everyone to repentance. That's what these are. And sadly, the anguish that unbelievers experience only serves to harden their hearts. That's the tragic thing. John 3.19, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so we conclude how horrific are the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ and unbelief. How horrific. And throughout our society, as we learned this morning in Sunday school, there is a growing fascination with the occult, with darkness. I don't understand it. doesn't make any sense, but it's true. Paul says to Timothy, the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What he's talking about are teachings not about demons, like we heard this morning, but teachings from demons. Satanic forces diligently working to mislead and beguile and ruin as many as possible. And therefore, Paul says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So let's, you and I, in our place and calling, be faithful in proclaiming the truth about God's mercy and judgment. The trumpets in general, and this fifth trumpet in particular, illustrate implicitly the mercy of God. And you're going to say to me, how can that be? The mercy of God? Yes, because as he delays final judgment, he is warning all people of what's on the horizon, and that's merciful. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Physical, spiritual, eternal death. He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. The flip side is equally true. He takes great pleasure in the recovery of a soul. If we turn, we'll certainly live. If we repent, we'll be forgiven. The gospel call goes forth and he invites us to find mercy in Christ. 
And we must at the same time hold forth the doctrine of the final judgment. Paul used every opportunity he had in making known to the Greeks what's to come. At the Areopagus, for example, he spoke of the day fixed by God on which he will judge the world through a man whom he raised from the dead. And he is an example of how we should be faithful in speaking about judgment, not harshly, not in a judgmental way, but out of mercy. Warning the world may sound harsh, but it's truly a very merciful thing. If a house was burning on your street, wouldn't it be merciful to scream at the inhabitants? And since this present world is fading, isn't it a merciful thing to remind them of judgment? Besides, the Lord will hold us accountable for how we fulfill this duty, won't he? If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I'll require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, he does not turn from his wickedness. He shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So there, there you have it. The world is angry with us if we're faithful. God is displeased with us if we're not. So it's a dangerous duty. But we fear God rather than men. It's a duty that we should not shirk from or wriggle out of. And finally, as believers in Christ, you and I are safe and secure in the covenant of God's love. We have to end with this. Everyone who's sealed with the Spirit of Christ cannot be harmed eternally. The demonic hordes, with all of their power, spite, and malice, cannot touch us. What do we confess together? With body and soul, both in life and in death, I'm not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has redeemed me from all the power of the devil. So the powers of darkness cannot shake the truth of salvation in Christ. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows you, he owns you, he loves you, he'll never leave or forsake you, especially at the hour of death. He'll carry you through the dark valley. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. And I doubt there are any more comforting words in Scripture than those, for you are with me. In our darkest hour, the Lord Jesus is present with us. We are not left to ourselves in life, and he will be right with us in death. He extends goodness to us all our days, both in six troubles and in seven. We should not distrust him even in the last extremity as we depart this earth. Let us never forget that he, all that he has done for us until now was not because we deserved it, not because we're worthy of it. He's richly blessed us simply because of his own sovereign good pleasure. Christ fulfills his promise for us, for the glory of his name and the good of his church and the eternal welfare of our souls. So even in the midst of the dangers and the valley of death, as deep and as dreadful as that valley is, the valley of death, 
Jesus Christ holds our hand, carries us through to heaven. It's through the valley. It's not lost in the midst of the valley. And he'll make sure by his wisdom and sovereign power that you and I will come out on the other side. May that encourage all of God's people this evening. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that according to infinite wisdom and rich mercy, you have warned all of mankind of what's to come, and you've done so in this vivid passage that we've read this evening. We pray that you will use this to convert many and to comfort your people, knowing that we are safe and secure in Christ Jesus. Help us to sing his praises now with gratitude and joy in our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.